Let's talk about Genesis and Joseph today, all right? Last week in our study of Genesis, Joseph was reveal, had revealed his, his true identity to his brothers, to Pharaoh, and sent word to his father that he was alive. Pharaoh and him had told him to come to Egypt, to escape the famine there, and then when he arrived in Egypt, they would make provision for him in a place called Goshen. And so that's where we left our story last week. Um, and our, last week. And so this week, in chapters 46 and 47, Jacob arrives in Egypt. He receives the land that his, and his, and that his family has been promised. As a matter of fact, it's the land they're going to live on for the next 400 years. The first thing to notice in our text is that Jacob is now being addressed as Israel. So look in chapter... Um, so, for instance, this is the name that he was given in Genesis 35. So let's look there. Upon Jacob's arrival at Bethel, en route to Padamaran, God appeared to him once again, saying... And blessed him. And God said to him, Ye shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And so right there, God changed his name from Jacob, who that was the name meant grabber. Do you remember when he was born, he, uh, he was a twin. When he came out, he was holding onto his brother's ankle. And Jacob meant grabber. But Israel meant one who prevails with God. And so in verse 11 of chapter 35, he says, I am the God Almighty, the Lord, the Lord said to him, I will cause you to be fertile and to multiply and to become a great nation. Yes, many nations. Many kings shall be upon, among your descendants. And I will pass on to you the land I gave to, each, to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give to you and to your descendants. You see right there, you see how that promise that God made to Jacob there is the same promise he made to Abraham so many years before. And so here we are. The same promise, the same covenant has been made. Descendants, land, and a blessing to all nations. So, but don't miss this. What is this little trivial pursuit question right here in chapter, in verse 3? Where is God sending Jacob? Where is he taking, telling him to go? He's telling him to go to Egypt. Now, of all of his people, of all of his ancestors, of his father and his grandfather, his, his grandfather Abraham went to Egypt, and it was a disaster. It was really bad for him. And then his father Isaac wanted to go to Egypt in, in chapter 26 of Genesis, and God said, don't do it, bad idea. And so here we are now with Jacob being told by God to go to Egypt, and not only being told by God, but God makes provision for him as he goes. So look at what God says to him in verse, verse 3. God comforts him. He said, don't be afraid. I'm going with you. He says, I will keep my promise to you there in verse 3. He says, I'm going with you in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, I'll bring you back. Now that's a promise that was important to Jacob. And then finally in verse 4 also, the other big deal to Jacob was, Joseph will be there with you. He says, Joseph will be there when you die. He will close your eyes. So at 130 years old, after being separated from Joseph for so many years, he arrives in Egypt to see his dying wish come true. Now his dying wish, the reason I say that is in chapter 45, 16, the last verse before our text today, Jacob declares that he wants to see Joseph before he dies. And so at the end of our text today, at chapter 47, verses 27 through 31, Jacob calls Joseph to his bedside and says he's about to die, and he asks him to pledge to take him back to Canaan for his burial. 
Now, interesting thing, keep in mind that at the time of Jacob's arrival, chapter 46, verse 1, there were about 70 in his family. And they had very little to bring with them. And in the passage I just mentioned, chapter 46, verse 27, we read that Jacob, this is 17 years later, Jacob had acquired property and were fruitful and were very numerous. So what we have here, as Jacob leaves the promised land of Canaan, he stops in Beersheba, and there God visits him once again in a dream. There he says to him, Jacob, and Jacob says, I am, here I am. And the voice replied and says, the God of your father, don't be af- I am the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will see to it that you become a great nation there. And I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will bring your descendants back again. And you shall die in Egypt with Joseph at your side. Now, notice how similar that is, how God once again reinforces the covenant of Abraham to Jacob here as he's about to leave the land. Can you imagine the importance of that? I would think that Jacob, leaving the promised land, knowing that there'd been a covenant made about that land and about descendants in that land and about this blessing that's supposed to happen, I would think that Joseph would be, uh, Jacob would be very concerned about that promise. That how, how can that promise be true if I'm leaving and all my descendants are leaving with me? There's no one left behind. All of them are coming. The text is very clear. All of them are coming out of, out of Canaan with him. But God takes him, and there in that place of Beersheba, and God says, stop. Let me just tell you something. I can imagine what's going on in your heart. I can imagine what you're thinking. But let me just reassure you. Your descendants will come back to this land. As a matter of fact, you will as well. Now, having said that, having said that, it's interesting to take into consideration that once again, once again, this story is not about Joseph. This story is, and, and even now as this chapter really focuses on Jacob, this story is not about Jacob. The story is always, always about the promise of descendants and land and blessing the nations. And the promise to Abraham is driving our story right now. It's the heartbeat of what we're reading. It's the story, it's the motivation behind what we're seeing happening. that, That promise, that covenant from God lies under the surface. And while we only occasionally might see it, but it's the very reason that we know that Joseph and his father and all of his brothers, it's why we know them. God is using them as a vehicle for the bigger deal, for the bigger thing happening in the book of Genesis, for assuring that the covenant takes place and is not disruptive. It's always the promise. Now, one other little thing I want to just go back to real quick and just draw our attention to is you notice that Abraham went to Egypt and it was not a good idea that Isaac wanted to go and God stopped him. But now, here, when the entire family needs to be rescued from a famine and from dying, God sends them to Egypt to be rescued. Not only to be rescued, but to prosper and even become a nation there. Think ahead 
thousands of years. When this promise of a descendant that will bless all the nations was born. Think ahead to what happened there. When Herod heard of the, Beth, the birth of the Messiah, he wanted to kill all the babies. And where did God send Mary and Joseph and the Christ child to save them and to preserve them? Once again, he sent them to Egypt. All right? That's bonus. That's all. All right? So the scholars suggest that the very reason we have a genealogy next in our text is a really big deal. So look at verses 6 and 7. Moses emphasizes that Jacob has brought all of his descendants with him. His sons and his grandsons, it says. His daughters and his granddaughters, it says. All of his descendants are with him. No one's left behind. And those descendants are important to the promise and the covenant and to this family. This is the chosen family, as we said. And they'll one day receive the land back in Canaan. And one of the future descendants will one day bless all the nations. So the next thing we read, verses 8 through 27, is a genealogy of all of this family. And as I said, the scholars have this big idea about why this is. So consider this. Jacob and his family arrive in Egypt and being united in in Egypt with, with Joseph is the beginning of the nation of Israel. In this list of descendants is the foundation for the 12 tribes of the future nation of Israel. And and, and Moses is taking this group of people and he's placing them in the story so that one day when you go back and you see the children of Israel go back into the promised land, go back to the place where they came from, you'll see that they're... and, and And actually, the next two chapters, the finishing chapters of Genesis, continue to confirm this that this is the 12 tribes that are going to go back into the promised land, and, and even that promised land will be divided among these 12 tribes. So here we are in these closing chapters of Genesis, and it's laying the foundation for what's going to become a great nation, a, great, a nation of many, many people. Now, another thing I want you to notice, who's leading the, the family in verse 28? It's Judah. Remember a few weeks ago how we noted that Jacob was the head of the family. Obviously, Jacob is the head of the family. And we noted how Joseph had the, the, the wealth and the resources to make possible the, the preservation of the family. But it had become Judah who was the true leader of the family. It was Judah who appealed to Joseph for Benjamin's life. It was Judah who stood before his father and appealed for his father to let them go back. And so Judah has become the leader in the family. But that's important because that is Judah's line that the Messiah will come from as well. So he'll come from Judah's family one day. The remainder of this chapter tells us how Joseph knows how to make a plan and how to make it happen, right? Here he is, he's taken and and he's begun, the people are coming and asking for more food, and he's, be, he's begun to, to unfold a plan to provide food for all the people, and each time as they run out of resources, he's able to continue to provide food. He knows the Egyptian way, and what's important to them, and what is loathsome to them. So he coaches, as he goes before Pharaoh, and is going to make provision for them, he says to Pharaoh, he says to his brothers, talk to him and tell him that we're shepherds. Explain that to him, because that's important to him. He needs shepherds, and he needs the best land to do it. And what happens out of that, Pharaoh gives Joseph and his brothers Goshen, 
the best farming land in the nation and makes them his shepherds, responsible for his livestock. In chapter 47, the, most, the, most, the part here, this passage, is for the most part the plan to save the nation from famine. And here are a few observations to consider in, as we read that passage. Consider Jacob meeting Pharaoh. He enters the land. He's introduced to Pharaoh. And what we have here by the word stand, world standards and the perception is a lowly shepherd that can, be, that can barely feed his... I mean, actually, he can't even feed his family himself. He had to come and seek help. And now he's meeting perhaps the most powerful man in the world at that time or in that region of that world at that time. And by anyone else's standards, what you would think is that here is this man begging from help from this powerful man. But in, pers- in reality, Jacob, Jacob is the more important of the two. For it's from Jacob's loins that will come the descendant that will bless all the nations one day, the chosen one of God, and that he would be the one that provides forgiveness for sins of all mankind. So whether Pharaoh can feed a family or even a nation for a season, it is from Jacob that comes the Savior of the world for all mankind for all eternity. And so it appears by world standards that Pharaoh has all the wealth that any man could want. But Jacob's descendants will offer Pharaoh's descendants what they cannot do for themselves. And that's true salvation and forgiveness of sins. The value of that compared to the riches of Egypt, there's no comparison for the two. And while the, and while the other, so one day, all the wealth of Egypt will burn. But the blood of Christ will forever be atonement for sin for all of mankind for eternity. God's riches are beyond count and measure. While the riches of Egypt will be left behind to be plundered by others. So, let me just ask you a question. What about you? Have you secured your life? Have you, have you chained your life to the ever-changing illusion of the wealth of this world? Is that what motivates you and gets you out of bed? I'd like to challenge you that one day there won't be enough dollars to satisfy you. One day, you'll find yourself wondering why you have lived, what you're living for, and is there anything else for you? There is something else for you. Something more wonderful than you could imagine. It's salvation from sins. It's having all the guilt and the shame of your lifestyle washed away. That's what God promises to you and everyone that knows Him and loves Him. Today, you can have an eternal escape from your sin and the guilt and the shame that comes with it simply by admitting to God that you've done wrong things and ask Him to forgive you and believe in the payment of Christ as the forgiveness of your sins. Today, you can do that right where you're sitting, all alone by yourself, by simply expressing to God that you have sinned and that you realize you cannot fix your sin problem yourself and you need someone to do it for you. That's who Jesus is. God sent his own son to come to earth to fix the sin problem for mankind that they could not fix for themselves. If you've done that today, if you have questions about that, 
don't hesitate to reach out to me with your questions or to let me know that maybe you prayed that prayer. I would love to know that and be able to give you some things to read and some, um, some help in what your next steps should be. All right? So our first observation here is that Jacob, who appears to be poor, is really the richer between him and Pharaoh. A second observation. Israel enters Egypt with nothing but is given land and prospers. So in chapter 47, the people are coming to Joseph and they want to barter for food. And Joseph obliges them and and bargains with them for their livestock in verse 16. And then he bargains with them for their land. And before it's all over, none of the people of Egypt have land. They have no livestock. And when they run out of food and they have no land and no livestock, they come and say, we are starving. And finally, what they do is they give up their personal freedom and become servants of the king in exchange for food. Meanwhile, as Egypt's people spiral further and further into poverty, Israel's people are living on the choice land in Egypt, and they're prospering, and they're fruitful, the text says. Isn't there some kind of irony to that? That as God brings them out of a famine and into a land of plenty, the host people continue to find themselves needing more. And yet these people, Jacob's family, family, Israel, are prospering. Now, I want to close by reassuring you and I with the promises God has made to Jacob. See, because those promises are not unique to him. He continues to make those promises throughout Scripture, time and again, and maybe not as a whole group, but one by one he does. All of his promises he made to Jacob back thousands and thousands of years ago are true to me and you today. And so he said to him, don't be afraid, go down there. He says, I'll keep my promise to you there. Don't worry about that. They're not negated by going to Egypt. And he says, not only that, but I'll be with you there, and then I'll bring you home. Well, that's exactly what I think many of us need to hear today as well. And God is saying that to all of us right now. Right where you are, right in the middle of whatever circumstance you're in, good, bad, or in between, God has made those promises to you, and you can claim those promises for right where you are. You can, you, can, you can trust him. When he says to not be afraid, it's because he'll be with you. He'll keep that promise to you. And not only that, but he will not leave you in this circumstance or in this life or in this body or in this world forever. As a child of God, as one who's placed their faith in Christ, he's promised to come and get you. He's promised to take you to another place. He said that in John. He said that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it were not true, I would not say it. And so right now, as many people are are afraid, as many people are unsure about whether God's promises apply to them, I'm here to tell you that God says, do not be afraid. I am with you. I will keep my promise to you. I'm going to take you home. Those are powerful words out there. And I believe that many of us are needing to hear them. Many of us, I know some days it's like the first thing we ought to be hearing 
when our head lifts off the pillow is that he is with us. Do not be afraid. He keeps his promises. He's going to take us home. Those are good words. Do you think you know anyone who needs to hear them? If you're a parent and your children are kind of skittish and uncertain about what's going on right now, those are the words that we as parents should be sharing with our children. If, you're, if you have a coworker or a neighbor or a family or friend or someone else like that, these are the kind of words that we can be sharing with those around us. Because we can be sure that the one who said them keeps his promises and doesn't say pointless, meaningless things. When he says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'll keep my promise. I'm going to take you home. He's going to do it. Again, isn't it amazing how God's word is so applicable in every epoch of time? And how these words are spoken thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago to a man as he was leaving his home country. And yet these same words and these same promises are just as true today for us, a people who can't leave their homes, a people who are not sure about what's going to happen next. Those promises are equally as true for us today. It's amazing how God's word is like that and how God's character is like that. His character has never changed. It will never change. And his promises and his goodness and his sovereignty and his compassion remains the same every single day in every single circumstance we find ourselves in. So whatever circumstance you're in today, Whatever it is that's happening in your life, whatever the uncertainty is, whatever the decisions are you need to make, whatever bills are that you have to figure out how to pay, God's promises are with you right where you are. And he longs for us to step into the space and claim those as ours and find him to be true. So today, this week, Step to him. Claim those promises as being your promises. Ask him to keep them for you. And I can guarantee that he'll do it. Not because I said it, because, but because that's the way he is. He's a promise keeper, and he does what he says he'll do. And he'll do that in your life. All right, church? Let's pray, all right? Father, we are ever in need of you. And our needs can change um, day to day, even moment by moment. So today we come and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives to remind us of the promises you make to us and to lean us back toward you and toward those promises and toward depending upon you for those things in our lives. 
Today, we want to praise you and thank you that you've made provision to keep the promises you made centuries ago through the family of Jacob and through the nation of Israel and through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We honor you and we praise you and we're humbled before you in awe of your sovereignty, in awe of your goodness to us, in awe of your master plan. May we not doubt you, but may you grow our faith. Help us in our unbelief, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church. See you tonight for prayer time. And make sure you get into your small groups, encourage each other, love each other well. And we'll see you back next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye.